When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why Funny, don't you cute, suck precocious. and fuck Home Alone's 1 and 2, dude? Why don't you just go into a hotel room with them and have your wicked way with them and then come back when you're ready to talk to me about the real deal? Hello and welcome, everyone, to the worst idea of all time, emergency season, with your friends and esteemed associates, Guy Montgomery and, of course, Tim Bat. Uh, Tim, how are you? Bad. We're in the middle of a global pandemic and I'm trapped inside my house. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Um, very, very honest answer of you and of me, actually. So, Tim and I have just sat down, not together, but, uh, well, not physically, but certainly in spirit, to embark on a little emergency season of the podcast. We've sworn off doing this so many times that it probably requires more than one hand to count. In actual fact, I just finished editing up the London live show. No, sorry, the um, Los Angeles one with Paul F. Tompkins, where PFT tells us um, to stop doing this. And that was off the back of the season before when he also told us to never do this again. And um, here we are. That's right. A lesson we refuse to learn until it is beaten into us with a bludgeon. Um this is a season of the podcast that will last for as long as the world is the way it is. Um, we, of course, understand that many of you are trapped within your houses, not unlike Tim Bat and myself, and also not unlike one Alex Pruitt, the star of Home Alone 3. Yeah. If ever there was a sequel that begged the question, why did we make this? I, I think it's Home Alone 3, right? That's right. So yesterday I was online and a friend had sent me a message on social media that said, if you guys aren't holed up watching Home Alone 3, I don't know what you're doing with yourselves. And I said, we're not, but we could be. I put it to Tim. Tim is uh, an enthusiastic and intelligent guy who immediately embraced the idea with open arms, which brings us to this present moment. We've both just watched Home Alone 3 for the first time. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. Not that time, days, months, or the calendar year has any value to society at present. No. And, um, well, we've seen it once. 
Tim, I'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, well, it sucks. I hated it. Uh, I hate that we're back doing this, but I think that's as it should be. I think that's very in the spirit of the worst idea of all time, that, uh, that a mate of yours just sent you a message, and here we are embarking on a huge commitment of um, time and mental energy uh, of a, a dumb whim, a silly whim. This movie, surprisingly, written by John Hughes. Surprising for two reasons. Number one, I thought he had nothing to do with Home Alone 3, which was part of the reason why it was so bad, because I, I had never seen this movie before, but I did know it was bad. And also because I thought John Hughes had died before this movie came out. I didn't know that John Hughes wrote it, even at the time that we're talking to each other until he just said as much. But I do have a slightly contradictory opinion to yours on the film itself, Tim, which is that it absolutely fucks. It kicks ass. God uh, damn. I enjoyed that. It was a it was a romp. It was an enjoyable Romp. You call totally... everything a romp. Every movie we've ever watched, at some point, you've called a romp because a romp works Un... in any direction. Untrue. Uh, well, I don't want to call it a triumph, but I think that this movie um, is a success. I don't know what it did at the box office. I don't know what the critics said, but from from woe to go, it acknowledges its forebears in the Home Alone franchise. And also boldly says, hey, but we're going in a slightly different direction. We're fusing two genres of movie. Uh, still with the pratfalls, the booby traps, the laughs that we've known along the way without our iconic child star, but introducing a new child star in the form of a boy whose name I do not know. Yeah, me neither. We'll probably learn it by the end of the season. But man, you couldn't be more wrong. This movie sucks and it denigrates the franchise, although... I fell into some deep wiki holes after, and I'll admit, during watching this, and found out that Home Alone 4 uh, was a straight-to-TV movie, and Home Alone 5 is something that exists. Oh, my God. I also found out, because I got um, real obsessed by how shit these bandits are as compared to the wet bandits, Harry and Mark from Home Alone 1 and 2, portrayed by uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, and I've, I've been doing a lot of reading on Daniel Stern. Do you want to hear about him? Absolutely. So um, Daniel Stern, is he's the taller of the two, if you're familiar with uh, Home Alone 1 and 2, but I not think, who Joe uh, Pesci is. Yeah, a really useful way of doing it is he's the one who's not Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, and so he didn't have the most fruitful career after Home Alone 1 and 2. He directed um, a few episodes of The Golden Years, and narrated even more of the episodes of that show. Um, but then went on and did a whole bunch of other stuff. So he opened up a, a boys and girls club in, I think, Miami, where he lives maybe, in the wake of the Columbine shootings to kind of look after the community there. And that has been a great uh, mechanism for the community to send kids that wouldn't normally get the opportunity to go to college to be able to get a tertiary education uh, he has pursued his love of bronze, like statue making, you know, like, and um, all around is just a great guy. Also, his son is, uh, I assume, the youngest senator that is sitting at the moment. He's the first millennial to make it to the U.S. Senate. Holy shit. Macaulay yeah. Culkin really scared that guy straight. Yeah. Way to pick up the broken pieces and put your life back together, eh? It just goes to show that even the most buffoonish of hoodlums can 
uh, straighten their course, you know, given the right encouragement. Yeah, Daniel Stern rules, and he was a great villain, a great bandit, a great fall guy, a great idiot, like movie idiot, because he just threw everything into it. In fact, the the from like both being a child and now later as being an adult who kind of sort of knows a little bit about the mechanics of film and television making, that iconic scream he does when the tarantula is on his face in, I think it's the first one, and he peeks out the microphone, that is like seared into my memory. It's such a good scream. Daniel Stern rules, and he's not in this movie. Yeah, you're using Daniel Stern as a conduit through which you can discuss your two favourite Home Alone films, whereas I'd rather uh, get into the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty of this Home Alone 3. Tim, seeing as you didn't like it, why don't you describe the basic overall plot of the movie? Well, in spite of the name, it's about a kid who is home alone very little of the time, who gets Mm. chicken pox for the first... yeah, I knew you. I knew you'd level this criticism at the film, and on one hand, it's valid. Yes, <laughs> they have found a loophole through which the kid is technically home alone, and that he does have the chicken pox, and his mum begrudgingly goes to the office to neglect him, even though he is wise beyond his years at eight years old. But they they do get him in the house alone, and when it all comes down to it. You know, in the sort of the the pratfall segment of the movie, the final sort of thirty to forty minutes, when the mum finally leaves, like I feel like the movie gives a knowing wink to us, the intelligent audience, as his mum clears the house and we go, well, okay, now the boy's finally home alone, and you know what's around the corner, man. These it's pesky like, villains. It's like they forgot the first twenty minutes of this film. They tried and failed to make a Die Hard movie, like the starting bit of a Die Hard movie. Um, which is just terrible. You're following these four, like, cartoonish, because it's a kid's film, two-dimensional villains, but they really, like, go to lengths to try and develop the the Bond villain scheme of what they're... There's, like, a computer chip and a missile system. They do a good job. Do you know how the... Do you know how the head honcho villain who they're securing the computer chip for describes it? Go on. He says, whoever possesses the chip could dominate the region. We do not know. We do not know where or how big the region is, but we know it's a powerful chip. Sorry, the entire region, no less. The whole region, folks. Your whole region would be taken over by this one computer chip, which has a serial number on it that suggests it was produced by the US Air Force. But the scheme is later revealed to be a North Korean scheme, which is being implemented by Russian operatives. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. These are guns for hire, Tim. I love that right out the gates, they say this is a different film. We've got the Home Alone title on it, but this is a, we're, we're not afraid to go in a bold new direction with the film. And then they sort of, after that Die Hard intro, as you accurately described it, it's right up there with Die Hard in terms of really groundbreaking, immersive stuff. Not what I they, said. They pivot hard back into Home Alone territory with this adorable young boy who we only grow to love and respect throughout the film. What do you think of his performance, by the way? Oh, he's fine. I don't know. He's a fucking kid. He was actually pretty good. But there's something about um, Kevin McAllister, you know, Macaulay Culkin's portrayal of the kid character that's that's even... There's a special... Like, I've never seen anything like uh, Macaulay Culkin because he's got that precocious kid thing down so well. And a lot of it is... This is why I'm so confused that this was written by John Hughes. It's it's like these movies were written by different people. Because the first two movies are like... They're just... 
they're like the lines that they give Kevin McAllister to deliver are like. Why funny don't you and cute suck and fuck Home Alone's one and two, dude? Why don't you just go into a hotel room with them and have your wicked way with them, and then come back when you're ready to talk to me about the real deal? Hey, Monty, Alex don't, get, don't a, get cross at me because I, like every other person on earth, is outraged by how bad Home Alone three is. Give me your three biggest problems with it. Number one, they feature a logo, which I'm sure is a nod to the Trilateral Commission, which is a nod itself to the New World Order. I don't fuck with that shit, okay? Number two, they couldn't source Catherine O'Hara, so they got a lookalike, who admittedly does a pretty admirable job, but you can't go replicating people you can't cast in your movie with people who look like people who you should be casting in your movie. And number three... It's, you can't pretend like the first two movies didn't happen and just slap the title in there and call it a franchise, okay? We've got to have a little fucking continuity to this universe. There's no erasure. They don't pretend the first two movies don't exist. They just know better than to dredge them up and hold them up in front of people who want an exciting new direction. Also, to your second point, Haviland Morris is a saint. She turns in a performance for the ages, okay? When then, guy, boss... then, guy, why is she working in real estate now? Why is she a registered real estate agent? Because even the best actors need a backup plan, all right? There needs to be a security net beneath a terrifying career in the arts. I I didn't know she was a real estate agent. And <laughs> I honestly feel like that's a decision she made separate from how well her career was going. Not You're everyone crazy. wants to be in the public eye. She insane? was on a rocket ship for the stars, baby. Yeah, but I don't think it was her choosing that she got let off the rocket ship. I don't think the rocket ship was taking yeah. off and she opened the latch and went, well, this is my stop while the you rocket don't... was going 250 miles an hour. You don't get on a rocket ship without a parachute, you dead shit. I think that this is like, it's just, you've got to get those first two movies out of your head, all right? This is an hour 40 of a, a young boy up against it. It's got some of the fable of the boy who cried wolf sewn throughout it, even though when this boy's crying wolf, he can see the wolf. It's just that everyone else is choosing to think he's a liar, all right? It's got a young Scarlett Johansson turning in a powerhouse performance. It's got your... your I hated like, it's her got, performance. It's got your iconic older kid brother from that late 90s it's sort of TV buzz. movie genre. It's, Dude, oh, it's Kmart buzz. Just get it buzz. Is, it is... Honestly, the late 90s was such a tough time to be playing the older brother in movies. This kid, like... His performance, his script, like what he was given to do is just so bare bones, like cool guy. I've, I took screenshots of him the whole way through the movie. I'm going to pump them out. <laughs> it, was a br- it was a brutal era for kid actors. The older brother, yeah. that's one of the hardest roles to nail down. But for his look, because he's um, uh, got quite a strong look to him, I, don't, I think that was those were the roles he was going to get, you know? Oh, he, yeah, he yeah, yeah. looks like a pretty booty... Um, red-headed kid actor like those are the sorts of roles that you're going to get that he looks like he sort of looks like reese from malcolm in the middle only someone uh put him in like you know photoshop and just stretched out the edges yeah and just made him a bit wider and broader yeah that's quite good yeah yeah um look the kid's good the kid is good uh and i'm not going to fully take on board your point about ignoring the first two movies from whence this film got its title but I will say that whilst he might not be Macaulay Culkin, he, he is really good. I'd be keen to know how old um, the actor was because um, the character's eight years old. 
And so yeah. I know often with kid actors, they get like some uh, 20-year-old who's got a hormone deficiency who looks <laughs> eight because they can pull off the script a lot better. And I wonder if that's what was going on here. Yeah, I'm, he was born in 1989. The film came out in 87. So he would have actually been eight. He was Shit. accustomed to age. He, yeah, he, he, I thought he was fantastic. And I think um, I actually wrote down in my notes that uh, there's a bit, there's a lot of, where is it? Here it is. There's a lot of Tim yet about the young lad. He's tech savvy. He's self-determined. And in that uh, world, I also cast myself as Doris the Mouse, sort of skeptical, incapable, but emotive and ultimately impressed. I I think I saw a lot of us in this film, Tim, and it, it might be part of why I enjoyed it so much. I am shook that you have cast yourself as the mouse in a film that is littered with humans. There's too many people in the movie, and instead of picking one of them, you picked a, an on-screen mouse. And not a mouse like Stuart Little, an actual mouse. I wanted to hitch myself to the Tim Bat Alex Pruitt wagon, and so help me I have. I also thought that you would get a real kick out of all of the technology on display in the film. I felt like they had a lot of fun speculating as to what sort of modern technologies would be available to high-end criminals in the late 90s. What I did like is there is one point in the movie where his mum rattles off all of the ways that he can get in touch with her, and it dates the movie to almost the month of when they shot it because she goes, here's my uh, beep, here's my pager, here's my office number, here's my fax number, and here's my cellular. And that is the word she uses. Here is my cellular. And when she pulls it out, when she's talking to him, it looks like she's talking into a scientific calculator. It's uh, yeah. It's a rollicking good ride for people who she, are oh, um, fond of retro tech. Also, I felt like her upright response earlier in the film, the first time that she leaves the house and we finally see Alex truly home alone, in quotations, uh, is when she sort of gets begged off by this quite domineering and annoying boss, some faceless male voice down the phone who's pretty much putting her a under the pump. A real Tom, saying, if you know you're sex in the city too. Oh, a big Tom. And he's saying, if you don't come down the office and neglect your eight-year-old boy who has the chicken pox, pretty yeah. much your job's going to be in jeopardy. And she sort of stares down the barrel of what's happening and says, okay, understood, I'm coming in, but I want you to know this. I fucking don't like what you're doing. Yeah. You're being a real menace. And yeah. in that respect, I think the film is almost a feminist text. 1997, you know, she's a regular Miranda. She's uh, an absolute Cynthia Nixon standing up to Tom. Maybe not the public eye, but yeah. certainly showing a lot of spine, a lot of backbone that would not necessarily be bestowed upon a, a, a character who is essentially, you know, reduced to a housewife in different movies of the same time. I guess in that moment it's like if you take those few frames of that scene playing out yep you could construe that as a, a feminist portion of the text but Catherine O'Hara is so good in her role yeah. that she like just fuck man she is I, I, so uniquely good on screen and especially and I think the first two Home Alones because I watched them so many times as a kid like even then I could recognize you know this woman is so, there's dude, something she so is, great about her I watched um, Waiting for Guffman two nights ago, and she is just like nearly always the funniest thing about anything she's involved in. I don't disagree. It's crazy, yeah. But I, I, I genuinely did. I did have a soft spot. Hey, hold for, on, hold on. Sorry, could I just ask you? Do you, do you have you ever heard the um, conspiracy theory that Elvis Presley is in? Uh, I think it's the first Time Alone. No. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. Um, so when John Candy comes to pick them up uh, or like meets Catherine O'Hara, I think, in the airport and he's... Fuck, does he have a band or something? There's some reason why he's driving a van, like, cross state lines, and he ends up giving them a lift. And I think during the exchange, if you look over the shoulder of John Candy, there's a guy, and there was, like, this um, conspiracy theory online that it is actually Elvis, and for some reason, because, you know, Elvis isn't dead, and for some reason, Elvis was Well, that's what they want you to think. What do you mean? (laughs) They want me to think he's alive? No, I mean, everyone wants you to think Elvis is dead, but we don't know that. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not dead. He's alive. And he's in Home Alone. I want to say it's the first one that that happened. And he's living in Home Alone 1. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's trapped in there. Um, Sorry, I interrupted your thought. No, no, it's it's okay. I just wanted to say, I understand it's very difficult not to get caught up on the brilliance of Catherine O'Hara, but Helen Morris does more than a serviceable job, a good job. And then by the same token, I thought Kevin Kilner, who is like... We're looking at Catherine O'Hara Light and Phil Hartman Light, and he he plays the dad. I don't really know what else he's from, but I thought Phil he also... Hartman's not in Home Alone. No, I, I know, but like oh. that, the, they were casting to that type. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's actually the only one who surpasses, I think, the original. The dad in Home Alone. I can't remember who that is, but I think this dad does does a better job. Mate, but he's not on screen very much. 
you'll drown in reminiscing about the Home Alones if you're not careful. Can I pick your brain on something? Earlier you brought up the fact that he's eight years old and gets left alone for ages because his mum gets dragged into the office. What's the legality around that in the in the US of A? Do you know? Cause I Super know in, illegal. In New Zealand, you've got to be... 13? 12? Yeah, 12 or 13. 13 seems right. Like, you would choose a teen year, right? I th- now that you say if, 12, that sounds right to me, though. It's one of I, those two. E- either way, 8. And I think that's it's more or less a, a, across the board, as I understand Where, it. How old was your older sister, Alice, when she started looking after you without any parents around? I couldn't tell you, but it was the 90s, and I was in Christchurch, New Zealand. It was... Not relaxed, but certainly I feel like. Well, actually, no, because I remember. I, I remember I was old enough at one point. I mean, don't Google Christchurch in the nineties if you want to have a clean picture of what a city was free of any uh, crimes involving children. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 don't do any research. I, I'm just saying I don't remember how old I was, and I think it feels like that twelve thirteen area was when it was like okay well we can leave you for an hour or a couple of hours and 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 not get too worried obviously right. this guy is i mean he essentially brings down a network of criminals that the FBI have been chasing for 7 years just yeah. with stuff that was lying around the house the guy's yeah. obviously well ahead of his years in terms he's of what savant. he's capable of and so i think in knowing that you can give him a little bit of a longer rope but my first thought when she goes to work and he's home alone he spots the crooks scouting out one of the other neighborhood houses, calls the cops. The cops arrive. That you know, the, cro- the crooks have cleared out. There's no evidence that what he's reported is true. And the mum's racing home, and she's like, oh, the cops are there. My first thought was on her behalf being like, oh, shit, the cops are going to ask me why the hell I left my eight-year-old boy at home. Like, it, yeah. it, it, it feels illegal. It, it has to be illegal. And, uh, the, the, like, cause it, it, it crossed my mind, and then... It's actually the scene where she, not Catherine O'Hara, what's her name again? Haviland Morris is on the phone to her boss. Um, this is the kid's mum. And she gets off the phone and he says, what's the, the bit of legislation that he quotes? What about like oh, the family, family something act? F- Fair Families Act or something, act or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, which just drives home the fact that this is a movie in which laws exist, you know, and, and people pay attention to them. Yeah, I I had no... I mean, obviously, it exists in a heightened reality, and we don't need to examine the internal logic of some parts of the criminal enterprises or the, white, the, the actual physical functionality of some of the booby traps. And I was totally immersed in the world of the film uh, all the way until the first, um, like, sound effect when the two, two of the crooks bang their heads together over a hedge and it's like yeah. they've used a sort of hollowed out coconut against coconut sound from yes, the cartoon. Looney Tunes universe Yeah, and this is a decision that they decide to stick with for the rest of the film I mean for the, for the entire film and at first when I heard it I was like oh that's a bit of a disappointment like I was mm. really in it and it pulled me out of it but then once I saw what they were doing with it I, I came around to it and I thought because these are really violent and this is true of the entire franchise the punishment that he's doling out to these guys is so violent like it would be yeah. fatal in any normal world absolutely he, he kills four adults yes twice each at least yeah, yeah. and Definitely. so the, the cartoonish sound effects sort of at least couch it in a lighter more pg realm yeah and they're always i was never like because i hate seeing people get injured on screen <laughs> 
real life, I fucking love it. I actually go and seek it out. Um, sometimes I instigate it, but on screen, I can't really handle it. And that, or the bit that stays in my mind from, uh, I think it's number one, Home Alone 1, is when um, Harry steps on a nail and it goes through his foot oh, yeah. on the stairs. Like, but fucking hate that. That's the, that's the thing, is the, the ones that make you squeamish, uh, and uh, they're more visceral. Like, those are the ones yeah, that... Uh, do you know what one did it for me in this one, though? When he, a guy pulls a fucking operating petrol-powered lawnmower onto himself from a height. And it's horrific, because you see it coming towards the camera, and you're like, and it's got the rotisserie, the rotating blades. Fuck, man. I hated that. Absolutely hated it. Yeah. What were, um, can I ask you actually at this point, because we seem to be at, uh, different stages of our relationship to Home Alone 3 already and that you really didn't like it. And I, I will genuinely... never truly love this movie. This is trying to be an ex-partner that will always have my heart. It's trying to be a uh, copy of that. Well, with that in mind, could I ask you for your shining light, please? Um, oh, oh, nah, it's not a shining light. Um, oh, okay. This bit I enjoy. <laughs> You're going to hate this. I enjoyed this because it's a reference to um, the first film. When Alice, who is the one female villain of the four and one of the other villains um has the scene where the guy has a mouse located in his crotch yeah, and his yeah. burnt out crotch because he's already been electrified in a chair and the mouse crawls into sort of the cavity and is hanging out and alice gets really freaked out about this and grabs i think it's a hockey stick from memory it is. and fucking slams him in the nuts which is um, they kind of follow beat for beat the the scene that Harry and Marv engage in with that, where um, I think I think it's the t- Buzz's tarantula um, that that Marv is trying to smash off Harry's uh, face, maybe his nuts as well. I can't remember, but yeah. So I like that little bit of um, homage to the OG. I also actually thought the the camera like as as the um the character they also the villains names I thought were so funny they gave them such good <laughs> fake names they were Peter Bo- Peter Bopra Alice Ribbons Burton Jernigan and Earl Unger like those are fantastic <laughs> names Burton they don't sound Russian though Burton Jernigan is <laughs> like that's just the a chef perfect, from uh, Muppets isn't it that is a perfect assembly of syllables um. But the guy you were talking about is Earl Unger. And they all the villains, like, to imbue them with a seriousness, they all refer to one another as Mr. or Miss. Like, it's yeah. always Mr. Surname. Um, it's so funny you like this because I, I wrote down, like, I took very few notes, but I, I just wrote down, this movie is so unfun. Because, like, in the first two movies, there's extended sequences where Kevin McAllister enjoys his absence from adults. It's kind of what is so integral to the enjoyment of Home Alone is it's about a dream realized that you're a kid, you've suddenly, you're awash with capital, you've got your dad's credit cards, the world is your oyster, you can eat as many pizzas as you want, you can order adult films from the hotel, Uh, you can go on a spending spree at the toy store, Um, you can get the penthouse apartment in Trump Tower, but none of that exists in this movie. It's just about an upper middle class eight-year-old kid who's already kind of got all the toys. And he's very rarely left alone until 40 minutes into the film. They 
they remembered the name of the movie as Home Alone 3, so they have to like quickly instigate those circumstances. I feel like that's fair. Like the, the, the fun and games of this movie aren't the same as the initial Home Alones. Like you, you are just dealing with a kid who is at home with the chicken pox. By the way, this guy's got one of the most mild cases. He's, a, aesthetically, he looks like he's got a pretty serious case of the chicken pox, but in terms of symptoms, I mean, he's barely itching himself at all. If you're young, though, chicken pox don't mess you up too bad, do they? No, nah, the they're fucking are, scratchy, man. They don't, not like as an adult. Oh, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's, ve- it's very clearly a mechanism to keep him at home, and that is, that is then abandoned. And, and fair enough. What am I getting bogged down in the nitty-gritty about it? I do agree they abandon the fun and games, but I just thought... Well, they do, what they do is I think they treat the violence as the fun and games because they stay in that for ages and they're just like, we're going to have more bandits and we're going to spend most of the film fucking them up. And, and it's but, like, that's not my idea of a fun movie, to be honest. That's just America's Funniest Home Videos on steroids. Yeah, that's fair enough. I felt like I could see the fun they were having in the writer's room. Like, it was, sure. it was so inventive with the ways that they could get this boy to kill these grown-ups. Yeah. Um, Do you, what are you? What were your faves? What were your top uh, traps? I just like I, I liked, and this is by design within the film. The first, like the first wave of booby traps, because it's like that's the sort of that's the come on of hallucinogens. That's that ticklish moment in your life when you're thinking <laughs> things are about well, to get really good. Lead out, so, for the people who haven't seen it, come on, give it, juice us up. Uh, what are we talking well, so, here? We're talking about uh, the the character who gets eventually gets his nuts cracked by a hockey stick, Earl Unger. Mr. Unger, he approaches the perimeter of the house and young Alex has set up this sort of very um, primitive-looking electric fence with a sort of kid handwritten sign saying danger, electric currents or whatever. And uh, he's like, oh, I remember, I, you know, it seems so long ago I was a kid. And I really loved the nostalgia of that line. I, I genuinely did. I really felt it. He says, I remember when I was a kid... It, you almost forget how stupid they are while he is taking out his Leatherman pliers and advancing towards this electric current. Like, <laughs> it's so insane. And this is a character who is my favorite of all of them, by the way. He had my shining light right out of the gates when they were um, scouting the airport. So the jeopardy of this movie is set up because they have secured this U.S. Air Force chip that helps people control the entire region and they've hidden it inside of a remote control toy car that's bought from a popular toy store, not FAO Schwartz, but was it Parisian? Was that the name of the store? Mate, I, I thought it started with a P because when I read it real quick, I was like, it looks like the word Parisian. Yeah, like, I think it with is. With some letters well, missing. Parisian or Parisian. I, I don't know what the pronunciation is, but anyway... The, to check it through airport security, they put the chip inside of a toy car and they check it through security and then it gets picked up by the wrong person who eventually leads them back to the suburban street in Chicago. But after it first gets picked up and they realise they're in this very busy airport and they need to find the the mistaken bag, everyone's sort of looking and it's quite a, a frantic scene. And then this guy, Mr. Unger, they're like, I, well, I checked the, all of the you know, premium lounges and the bars, he wasn't there. And they're like, well, I checked all of the departure gates and he wasn't there. And then this, uh, this Mr. Unger says, when I was in the John, I didn't see anything in there. And I'm like, this guy is going against the grain. The others yeah. are these sort of heels. They do exactly as they're told by the superior. And this guy is somehow talked his way into this group, but he is very He's much Daniel, his own man. He is the Daniel Stern of this film. And he has the exact same comic beat later when they're all rummaging around the house i think trying to find the chip when they finally infiltrate and he and they they're all like completely fucked up from all the traps and they meet in the kitchen with, with 
the living room or something. And they're like, it's, you know, it's not upstairs. It's not in the bedroom. And then he emerges with like some potato chips. He says, yeah, it's not in the pantry either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. It's, that's great. Like he's an idiot. And so when we first see him trying to penetrate the perimeter of the house and he, he, he puts his pliers into the electric current and gets absolutely blasted. And then at the same time on the other end, we've got this, this guy had phenomenal eyes. The actor who plays Mr. Burton Jernigan, a guy called Lenny Von Dolan. Uh, he... Lenny Von Dolan is almost as good as Burton Jernigan. <laughs> what the fuck? Where did they find these guys? Burton Jernigan is just, I can't get past it. Um, anyway, he's, Is it the he's... ultimate comedy name? I think it is. So he's simultaneously getting electrocuted by different means around the back. And they've got this dual, like, from every angle, northeast, uh, south and west, this kid's got the, the, the house set up. And it just, it is, like, it is unrelenting. And they could have cut, I would say, 10 to 15 minutes of this part of the movie yeah, to, to their own advantage. But you, you do get the feeling that everything that comes before it is in service of, like, I feel like they could, they were, the what, the weight of the Home Alone franchise that they were carrying was entirely distilled into this part of the movie. Of the villains getting real injured? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't want to talk too long. I want to keep these episodes snappy because we're going to be watching this film so much. Absolutely. Um, But here's something. Uh, Raja Rosnell, who's the director, he was the editor um, under Chris Columbus in Home Alone 1 and 2. And same for Mrs. Doubtfire. They were the editor-director team there. Man, I'm telling you, the DNA lives on in this movie. They did not abandon the franchise. They took. I the was comp- literally angry that they used the same theme song at the, the same original soundtracking um, because I, as I said, haven't seen this movie, but I know by reputation that everyone was outraged about how much they dropped the ball. I understand at the time. I understand in the in the vacuum of 1997. I understand the outrage, but in the modern day, it's a romp. You heard it here first. Something to look out for in your second watch, Monty. Um, the villain who gets the lawnmower dropped yep. on him. Um, <laughs> in the do you shot, mean Do you mean Burton Jernigan, Tim? Oh, is that Burton Jernigan? I don't know which ones are which yet. So when Burton Jernigan gets the lawnmower on him. Uh, when he pops up after the injury, for which he looks very unscathed, which I was very relieved for. I'm glad they didn't like put lacerations on his face to show me the blades are gone. Um, he's visibly wearing a lapel microphone with the wire, like just front and center in the shot. So they've got like just a total mid shot of him. And you can see they've mic'd him up for some reason, which is weird because it's quite a tight shot. But, and they easily, I would have thought, could put like a boom above his I've, head. I've, no, but I feel like that would be because they, they're using a lot of very futuristic technology. Like they're communicating through Bluetooth and walkie. Like I feel like that would have been part of because they're all on very small radio mics to communicate with one another when they're inside of the house. I You've got like, more faith in this movie than I do, bud. I got faith coming out the wazoo. Something for you to look out for, Tim. A cameo yeah. by Jamie Fox. Tell me. Oh where. no, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The music video that's on TV. Now, I, mate, I watched the film. I was yeah, there. I don't doubt it. Well, we'll see you guys soon for episode two of this emergency season. Uh, we hope you're all staying safe out there. Something I one tried out of five. One out of fucking five for yesterday this. Yesterday was uh, washing my hands. Pretty good fun. Worth looking into. Give it a rating, monk guy. Home Alone three. Yes. Two thumbs up, five out of five. A perfect film. See ya.
In Home Alone 3, the stakes are Alex, who's eight, has to protect a proprietary microchip from terrorists who would use it in a missile to evade radar detection, presumably to be able to kill a lot of people without an anti-aircraft ammunition system being able to take it down. What the fuck? 